The story of psychoanalysis and the left arguably begins with the intersection of two major figures, Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud. So explain the connection between these men and their ideas. Right. Thank you. And I just want to say first, it's a pleasure to uh, have the opportunity to talk to you. Um, so if one were to remain with the reading of Sigmund Freud, one would be surprised by the connections that in fact have developed over the course of the 20th century between Marxism and, and, and Freudianism. Freud himself was not a radical in the political sense, and he was very skeptical of the communist impulse. In fact, in probably his most important work on society, civilization and its discontents, he explicitly writes that the communists believe that happiness is a possibility, that the human nature is intrinsically good and it's been distorted by private property. Obviously, Freud sees um, human nature in quite different terms than that, and that's something of a caricature of the left anyway, but, but uh, he certainly doesn't believe that abolishing private property is going to abolish um, the dynamics of the conscious and the unconscious minds. So, you know, so he himself was very, very skeptical and, and, and very much an anti-utopian thinker. And that kind of, uh, that kind of trajectory is, is certainly a crucial part of 20th century psychoanalysis. For example, in America, mid-century ego psychology was the dominant form, and it was clearly focused on adjusting individual psyches to the conditions of a, of, of a modern capitalist uh, and individualistic society. Okay, so in a sense, orthodox leftism in the 20th century kind of returned the compliment. I mean, the Bolshevik regime was very uh, skeptical in fact, of, of uh, psychoanalysis. Prior to the Bolshevik Revolution in Imperial Russia, there was, a, you know, kind of an emerging psychoanalytic movement. And in the first couple of years of the Bolshevik regime, there was uh, quite a, you know, quite a, a, an openness, as there was towards many types of experimental or avant-garde culture. So psychoanalysis seemed to be uh, supported, indeed, Leon Trotsky, for instance, um, thought of psychoanalysis very highly, but debates began to emerge um, around 1923 whether Marxism and Freudianism were compatible, and the answer seemed increasingly that they were not, um, and that you know effectively led to the disintegration of Russian psychoanalysis. Okay, so you know that's a kind of official story, right? But of course. 20th century and now 21st century uh, leftism has indeed been marked precisely by that intersection. And, and the question is, is that arbitrary and, and, and mistaken? And, and there I think, I think that there are all sorts of different interactions. So let me just suggest uh, a few. For one thing, Freud himself does does do work on group psychology. He tries to develop um, a theory of society based on psychoanalysis. So the kind of the move from the individual to society is one that Freud himself makes. S secondly, 
that move towards towards the social carries with it from the individual level an interest in a dynamic model, uh, a model of exchanges, of of kind of dynamic tensions and contradictions. So that I think you know lays down certain groundwork. Um, in, in addition. At the core of, of, of Freud's theory is a theory of socialization. After all, the emphasis on the individual, uh, I'm sorry, on, on the infant is not to dwell on the infant, but to, in a sense, talk about the ways in which human beings are made and become socialized. So, so the, the theory is intrinsically a theory of socialization with the Oedipal complex at its core. Okay, the adult individual in the society that Freud understands suffers repression, neurosis, tensions. You know, these are all categories that that are going to be inspiring to all sorts of different leftist um, thinkers. And then last last but not least, I would point to something that, that the philosopher Paul Ricoeur um, spoke about. He, he, he identified Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud as what he called the masters of suspicion. He also talked about the hermeneutics of sus- suspicion. And what he sees common to each of these figures is a, a, a tension between surface and depth, between what seems to be the case and what is, in fact, actually at the root of, of, of phenomena. So obviously the base superstructure in Marx, let's call it um, like will, will to power and various manifestations in Nietzsche and and of course the conscious and the unconscious in in Freud. So you've got a kind of, uh, you've got a kind of topographical model that that is working in, in, in these, in these figures. Let me just uh, let me just give you an absolutely exemplary instance of this fusion. This is from Eric Fromm, one of the members of the Frankfurt School, an essay in 1966 called Marxism, Psychoanalysis and Reality. And here he is in essentially speaking to the kind of hermeneutics of suspicion that uh, Paul Ricoeur writes about. So Fromm writes, psychoanalysis is the only scientific form of psychology as Marxism is the only scientific form of sociology, only these two systems allow us to understand the hidden driving forces behind the phenomena and to predict what happens to an individual in a certain society when, under certain conditions, the acting forces evoke phenomena that seem to be exactly the opposite of what they actually are. In the field of individual psychology as well as in sociology, Non-dynamic thinking is surprised when deeply affecting existential transformations occur, while dynamic thinking, which recognizes forces that remain invisible from the surface, is able to predict probable transformations. So again, the surface depth model, I think, is really a crucial linchpin for this intersection. Having laid out the foundation of and connective tissue between psychoanalysis and leftism, how were the two put to use in practice? Right. Um, So 
I think that the, in some ways, the golden years of this intersection were the interwar years. Um, now, now the, the legacies carry on and, you know, uh, I hope we'll have the chance to talk about much more contemporary, um, instances of this intersection. But if we go back to the interwar years, I think that, that one of the crucial, uh, forces here was the, in some ways, the you know the problematic status of the Bolsheviks, um, you know that many many Western European leftists, and we we now talk about Western Marxism in this light, you know, were not convinced that the Soviet Union was an adequate realization of socialism, um, and by extension, they were not convinced that Orthodox Marxist theory was fully adequate. So there was a an interest in moving away from what had become a rather deterministic model of, of society. Um, there was an interest in, in, let's call it the cultural sphere, you know, what Marx uh, calls the superstructure. That includes then paying serious attention to what, what we might call the symbolic dimension of society, language, representations, um, ideas, fantasies, etc. Um, a theory of the subject, which um, which is rather thin in in classical Marxism, um, and and a, a, a recognition that on both the left and the right, um, human beings are are prey to, and even shaped by fantasy, by, by desire, by libidinal drive. Um, and so, so we see this, you know, this kind of corrective move. Now, I, I, I see something of a tension, uh, which maybe runs through this left-wing appropriation of Freud, uh, certainly beginning, if not before the interwar years, certainly beginning in the interwar years. So on on one side, you have a certain kind of leftism, which really focuses on um, sexuality and and libido, criticizes capitalism for a, a repressive structure that doesn't just operate at the level of the labor process, but actually operates at the level of channeling instinct, channeling drives. Um, into a model of production and consumption that serves capitalism. So, so these would be these would be uh, thinkers like Wilhelm Reich, um, uh, who you know who who really saw um, human sexuality as a potentially revolutionary force. And of course, his history is one of lo- a long, scandalous, provocative uh, career. Including, you know, some rather lunatic uh, uh, dimensions, but 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 the point is taken. In France, uh, one could see similar impulses in Georges Bataille, um, where you know, tr- like transgression, um, excess, uh, r- represent challenges to the social order. Okay, so that's one side of the tension. The other side is. Uh, the kind is is well represented by the Frankfurt School. That is to say, these are leftist theorists of society, uh, 
who discover in Freudianism supplements for understanding um, the dynamics of of, of capitalism, um, and there, uh, there too, um, you know, one of the crucial resources or one of the crucial um, possibilities in Freudianism is a richer theory of the subject. Now, where these two sides converge in the inner warriors is in the problem of fascism. Um, and so, uh, you know, you have, for instance, Wilhelm Reich's book, The Mass Psychology of, of Fascism, um, you know, uh, Adorno's famous essay on fascism and, and, and propaganda. Uh, Bataille has many writings that, that, you know, kind of fuse um, a, a Marxist critique with Freudianism in order to address um, in order to address the phenomenon of fascism, which 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 they all see as you know a kind of convergence of a certain social conjunction with you know with a certain phantasmatic structure, and that you know that analysis of course carries on in post war writers like uh, Tilavit, you know Tilavite, I guess. Um, Menner uh, Fantasien. Uh, yeah, um, uh, then, if you go into the post-war period, of course, this remains a robust uh, theoretical line. Uh, in the United States, probably the most powerful and prominent uh, exponent of this is not Eric Fromm, but rather Herbert Marcuse. Right. So Marcuse wrote *Eros and Civilization*, published in um, nineteen. 19- 55 and then and then a book that I uh, often teach one dimensional man which which was published in 1964 Marcuse you know like I find one dimensional man especially interesting in this regard um you know he's looking at modern America and it's a you know it's it's a consumer society for for many millions of Americans life is better than it ever had been material goods are plenty um, for many Americans, not for all, but for many, scarcity as a problem has been overcome. And yet, he doesn't find freedom. He finds conformity. Um, and to, to try to address that, you know, kind of what are the conditions of oppression in a, in a society of affluence? He turns to psychoanalysis and, 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 um, you know, kind of most interestingly, I think, uh, takes Freud's theory of sublimation and kind of turns it upside down and talks about the process of desublimation, which is in a sense removing taboos, removing restrictions on, on the libido. But he attaches the crucial word repressive. So the repressive desublimation. You could think of it as, in a sense, capitalism is constantly aiming at your gonads, <laughs> you know? Capitalism thrives on sanctioning and stimulating your desire, right? But it does so in ways that are channeled, um, focused on, on, on consumerism, not to mention production itself. So, so, uh, so you know, these are, these are crucial ideas adjusted to a new social situation in which the classic Marxist conflict between proletarian and, and bourgeois is not really applicable. In some ways, he's talking about a bourgeois society in a much more 
expansive sense. Do today's leftist movements have a relationship with psychoanalysis? Well, so I think through through the long history of of the modern left, um, you know, I would I would be reluctant to 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 argue for an overly strong relationship between psychoanalysis and movements. Um, you know, I, I'm sure there were people who were aware of Freud, read Freud, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I'm not. I'm I, I'm. You know, I think that the the main story is is uh, a story of left wing theory. Now that said, um, you know, if I think about a movement like Black Lives Matter, um, Black Lives Matter really emerges or emerged out of a kind of intersection between identity and social, economic, and political inequality, and in a sense kind of in the middle of that intersection is the is the problem of trauma right and and theorizing trauma as 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 some you know as a as as a crucial constitutive dimension not just of the black experience in america but of the of the formation of america trauma even at the level of 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 white repression of 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 the trauma that was inflicted now, now that that is a language of trauma, which is not necessarily making explicit reference to Freud, but of course Freud is one of the crucial theorists of of, of trauma in the twentieth century. It's a kind of it's kind of like it's pretty hard to talk about trauma without beginning to mobilize Freudian language, even if one doesn't recognize that one is speaking it, just like in some ways, even the anti-Marxist ends up speaking like a Marxist the moment they start talking about society. Like these are, these are vocabularies and conceptual frameworks that have just kind of wormed their way into, into our frames of reference. Okay, so, so you know, I think that, that psychoanalysis kind of helps to explain a movement like like Black Lives Matter, but it certainly would be, I think, a mistake to see Black Lives Matter or 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 you know, I I've done a lot of work on Occupy Wall Street. You know, these are not movements that as far as I can see are making any kind of explicit reference to or mobilizing psychoanalysis. But if you turn to contemporary intellectuals, uh, on the left, then certainly, certainly we have uh, a situation where psychoanalysis remains a, ro- a very robust um, resource for for left wing intellectuals. So, just you know, for example, Judith Butler, the Psychic Life of of Power, right, which mixes a kind of Foucauldian analysis with psychoanalysis, or. Frederick Jameson, you know, the, 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 a lot of his work, but the, the political unconscious from the early 80s, uh, in complicated ways, Alain Badiou, um, Wendy Brown, uh, I, you know, mobilizes psychoanalysis to some extent. Um, in, in, in my book, uh, Adventures of the Symbolic uh, Post-Marxism and Radical Democracy, that Intersection between psychoanalysis and 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 left left wing theory is 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 really crucial. So, um, you know, I 
figures like uh, Cornelius Castoriadis, um, Claude Lefort, uh, Ernesto Laclau, and Chantal Mouffe, uh, authors of the um, of the 1985 book, Hegemony and Socialist Strategy. Zizek, um, you know, in, in one way or another, they're all mobilizing um, a Freudian language. And um, it it's a Freudian language, but of course, Freudianism in the 20th century is a vastly complicated and vastly diverse movement. And so, to say what I just said has to be further qualified by saying that in some ways Lacan becomes a kind of linchpin um, for so many um, of these figures. Now, in in Laclau and Mouffe's case, um, that Lacanian dimension is just one of a number of different resources floating around in, in that work. But certainly... Um, Lacan's theory of the subject uh, is important to them. Lacan develops the triadic uh, structure of symbolic, imaginary, and real. All of these planes are at work in in um, Laclau and Mouffe. Um, Slavoj Žižek was one of uh, was an early writer about about Laclau and Mouffe. In 1987, he writes. Far from reducing all reality to a kind of language game, Laclau and Mouffe conceive the socio-symbolic field as structured around a certain traumatic, traumatic impossibility, around a certain fissure which cannot be symbolized. All right, there's a lot to unpack there which we can't can't do, but but uh, the point is is that for for Zizek, Laclau and Mouffe have, in a sense, operationalized Lacan, in other words, Lacanian psychoanalysis, for the purposes of social theory. And Zizek, uh, Zizek builds directly on that impetus. Um, so if we were to go back to his first major work, the one that, in a sense, won him an English readership, The Sublime Object of Ideology, um, the the book, it, this is... Uh, interesting, really opens with a critique of Louis Althusser. So Althusser in the 60s also mobilized Freud, or more specifically Lacan, uh, for instance, his essay on ideology and ideological state apparatus, um, you know, uses the category symbolic, imaginary, real, um, in order, uh, or the big other, which is, which is a Lacanian concept, you know, kind of like a certain version of the superego theory. Um, so Althusser uses all of that. So Zizek in 1989 returns to Althusser's account of ideology and says, what's missing is any explanation for why individual subjects, in a, in a sense, embrace ideology. Why, why you know, like the famous... Althusser moment in that essay on ideology is like if a policeman shouts out, hey, you, you turn around, like somehow you get hailed and you, you answer to the authority. What is it about us that, that leads us to respond to that call of ideology? And, and here Zizek says something which is very classic within this Freudian Marxist um, conjunction, namely, we need a theory of the subject. 
and and consequently the the book's title really suggests the true you know the program of the book this this the subject of of that sublime ideology and 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 it leads Zizek into a theory of of um, lack um, of a kind of Im- impossibility within the social realm uh, for for closure completion fullness. And the consequent tendency of the subject to supplement that lack with various forms of fantasy. Yeah, so Zizek, you know, Zizek uh, mobilizes this in this way. Now, let, let, me, let me just finish by making a plug for, um, for a somewhat alternative view. So Castoriadis, who is a much less well-known figure in, in the English-speaking world, I think um, mobilizes... Um, mobilizes Freud in really interesting and maybe in some ways more productive ways. Um, he had an early flirtation with Lacan, but grew very critical of Lacan, seeing Lacanian psychoanalysis as in some ways um, stripping people of their agency, um, you know, come not providing a groundwork for thinking about political action. Castoriadis's work went in a very different direction um, towards towards a theory of the unconscious focused on the role of imagination, or more specifically, imaginary, what he called the radical imaginary, which 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 is the source of of human sig- significations, human you know human productivity. Um, human representations, it's the source of society. Now that imaginary gets channeled and disciplined, but it never gets fully disciplined. And, and, and consequently, as he moves towards the social, right? And again, he has a theory of socialization. How does the individual as, a, as, a, as an infant get, you know, kind of drawn into the social? Well, Drawing into the social is being drawn into the social imaginary, but the radical imaginary never goes away. Um, it it remains as a disruptive uh, force and also a force of potential new significations, new new inventions, new creativity. So um, where where you know one might say in some ways the Lacanian left is interested in a, in a circumstance of exteriority, the exteriorization of forces that work on individual subjects. Castoriadis really is interested in the kind of productivity of individuals in terms of generating meaning and generating new meaning and contestatory meaning. And, and um, I, 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 I you know, I, I can't refrain from mentioning a, a remark that um, David Graeber made, um, sadly passed away uh, in the summer of 2020. Graeber, Graeber says, you know, if you go into an anarchist bookstore, you'll find books by people like Castoriadis or, or even Claude Lefort. You'll find Guy Debord, the Situationist. What you're not going to find, or at least it's unlikely, are... Foucault and Derrida, you know, your your activists are interested in the intersections that that 
that theorize and in a sense give support to creativity and 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 agency. Um, that's Graeber. Uh, I I think he's he's right there that you know that that it's it's that direction of theorizing the subject that perhaps has the greatest potential, even though among academics um, it is uh, a less acknowledged resource.